0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Rodney Bodner. He's a paramedic, but he's also a filmmaker. We'll talk to him about his new documentary, Methamphetamine Community under siege del duffield's going to be on the podcast he has played every golf course in the province of manitoba 131 of them amazing and we're going to talk to dorota Plumchinska at the immigration and refugee organization of manitoba about newcomers and gangs please rate the podcast please subscribe to the podcast and now the podcast
2: short-term use of meth has immediate effects on the body ranging from increased heart rate blood pressure loss of appetite bizarre erratic and sometimes violent behavior to panic attacks and psychosis sometimes at high doses seizures and death can occur long-term exposure can lead to permanent damage to the brain heart lungs liver and kidneys it takes its toll on your life you lose everything so slowly right you think you got it together and you, you lose it slowly.
1: That is from the new documentary, Methamphetamine Community Under Siege. The man responsible for that documentary, Rodney Bodner, is in studio right now. Rodney, nice to meet you.
2: Hi, thank you, Al, for having me.
1: Wow. I watched it this morning as I prepared for the show. And, you know, I talk just about every day about meth, but it has opened my eyes this documentary in a way that i did not expect you know we we hear about this drug what it does how one time can hook you but uh it's scary uh
2: it it is um it's it's everywhere it's uh everywhere everywhere in the province high schools um it, it is a scary drug it's it's none it's not like any other drug that uh that we've come across
1: and you're a paramedic, not in the city of Winnipeg, but you've seen people high on meth, right?
2: Yes. Yes, that's right. Have you ever seen another drug affect people the way this one does? Uh, no, not not like this. This is, uh, like I said, very different. Um, it, it it takes your life away very slowly. Unlike um, maybe an overdose on an opiate like uh, fentanyl, uh, where it happens quickly, uh, meth, it, it takes your life away very slowly. And... Why did you
1: decide to do this documentary? You financed it yourself. Like, I want to get into all this because this is incredible. You financed it yourself. Why did you, let's start there. Why did you feel it was important to do this documentary about this drug meth? Uh,
2: Well, well, uh, like everybody, you see it in the news every day or every other day. Um, And I know uh, in the news it can only play so much of a clip. And uh, the real story isn't being told about the human beings behind uh, the addiction. Um, it, it, not that they're demonized in the news, but th- there's a human aspect to this. And I wanted to tell their story on uh, where they came from, why they got involved with the methamphetamines, and what services or lack of service there is for them to, to help them out of the rut. The
1: documentary starts with a guy rubbing his face... He's high on meth, and he filmed it, right? Because he wanted right. people to see what it's like to be high on meth.
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, that individual was uh, John Andrew Fleming. Um, his brother was kind enough to donate that clip to us, um, and uh, I just wanted to show that he's a human being that's, that's hurting, and uh, it, it's disturbing to watch it is. Uh, his clip. And he's dead now. It, he is, yeah. He died in 2013.
1: Wow. And you did not expect this doc to get the attention that it's now getting. And let's just say that uh, Councilor Kevin Klein tomorrow is having having this viewing uh, at Park West Inn, 550 Dale Boulevard, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, so people can go and see it there. 7 o'clock tomorrow night, Park West Inn, 550 Dale Boulevard. I'll say that again if you want to go and see it tomorrow night. But there's another viewing coming up later on this month, November 22nd. And that's a big one. Why? Uh,
2: the Manitoba School Boards Association is putting on a professional development day. It's uh, one of their annual meetings uh, where there will be all school trustees, uh, superintendents, I believe trustee, or secretary trustees uh, throughout Manitoba, uh, about 300 plus people uh, at the Victoria Inn by the airport. And uh, I was invited to show the film and have a follow-up discussion on a panel with uh, actually James Favel uh, from the Bear Clan Patrol. Who's in director. the documentary as well. He's yeah. in there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the aim was to get this into every high school in Manitoba for kids to watch. And um, that uh, we're seeing that happen now. There's been the commitment.
1: So they've committed to you now that after this viewing, it will end up in some form or another in all schools in the province in, of Manitoba. In, in
2: some way, yeah. We're just trying to determine uh, after that meeting uh, how to make it happen.
1: Yeah, And we hear that education is such a big part of the battle against this drug.
2: And so that's huge, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It also played at Brandon University. Uh, And there seems to be, the more that I watched the film, uh, that there could be a use for it uh, at a college or university level in social services, psychiatry, nursing. Um, The things that are available to meth addicts or just addicts in general right now Uh, It's very short-term, and uh, with methamphetamines, um, it's not so much the addiction that needs to be treated other than it is the mental health that's behind it, the poverty that's behind it, uh, any trauma-induced past that they have, uh, why they're turning to the drug um, in the first place. Uh, Because you can detox them from the drug, but once they're out of detox or or their treatment uh, facility, they're going back to the same life they had, and they're relapsing. And uh, there's an incredible stat in the documentary uh, regarding relapse.
1: And your hope is to, because this is a Winnipeg and a Manitoba problem, but it's a problem we're seeing math right across the country, and your hope is that it will be in schools across the country.
2: Yeah, there's been a preliminary discussion about now uh, this uh, entering high schools across the country.
1: That's Isn't correct. that fantastic? And Amazon has picked it up.
2: Uh, did Amazon prime, uh, or Amazon direct. I'm yep. not sure which direction it'll go in yet. Right. But yeah, yeah. That'll be, uh, for January. Yeah. And you were
1: telling me, I don't want to, you know, uh, out you too much here, but you were saying you embarked on this project, didn't really even fully understand how
2: to use your iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> booking crews, equipment. Right. Incredible. Right. It, it, well, I started out with a, a short film. Uh, Five-minute film I shot with Bear Clan Patrol. I wanted yeah. to show the the viewer what it is they do exactly. Yeah. And it went on to win uh, three international filmmaking awards. Good for you. And, uh, th- and then it just spiraled into this. Uh, this was completely unex- unexpected.
1: Yeah. yeah. And now you've got plans to do more documentaries.
2: Yes. Uh, this will tie into uh, two other ones that I... I plan on producing Uh, it starting in the spring on homelessness Mm -hmm. from a human rights uh, violation perspective. Right. And following that on uh, mental health uh, because all all three subjects tie into one another.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, Listen, we talk about, you know, and you're on the front lines, you're a paramedic. So we talk about the people, the police and the paramedics out there dealing with this, but boy, I'll tell you after watching this today. And again, I'll just tell you that at seven o'clock tomorrow night, at Park West in 550 Dale Boulevard. You can see it there, and it sounds like it's going to be in classrooms and available on on Amazon, some platform with Amazon. People should see this because I really do think it gives you a new understanding of this drug that we're talking about every day.
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, it, the film definitely does not demonize anybody. Uh, it's showing the, the human part of, of this Terrible addiction, which sometimes does get lost in all this, right? Right, because yeah. there's that backstory of why people are turning to this. There's mm-hmm. reasons for it, and uh, even when they 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 go through detox, they're going back to the same situation that caused them to use use the drug.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations, Rodney. It really is uh, the you know, and I I know you you started out doing it sort of on a shoestring budget. Uh, But the the rawness of it, uh, it's just really well done. I would not be surprised if it didn't go on to win awards. You mentioned your short one on Bear Clan. It really is uh, something that people should see. And so I, I really hope people get an opportunity to see it. The next opportunity is tomorrow night, Park West in 550 Dale Boulevard. I'm going to say that a few more times because I sure. really do think if people have, it's not even an hour, it's 45 or 48 minutes, right? Uh, yeah, it's 40, 47 minutes. Yeah. yeah, so if you have an hour, boy, I'll tell you, it, if you can't see it tomorrow night, see it at some point because it's, it's really well done and it will give you a new and better understanding of this drug that we talk about every day. The documentary is called Methamphetamine, Community Under Siege, Rodney Bodner he, uh, Bodner, he is a paramedic, so he's on the front line seeing this, uh, but he's also a filmmaker, and you really should check this film out. And I'm really happy it's getting the attention it's getting.
2: Thank you very much, Hal.
1: Thank you, Rodney. Joining us right now in studio, Del Duffield. Del, uh, Del really uh, nice to meet you. Meet you too, oh, Al. You know, let me turn your mic on. Nice to meet you. There, now you can say <laughs> yeah. hi to everybody. No, I said, nice to meet you, Hal. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. Thank me. you for coming in. So, your friend Marilyn emailed me. Marilyn emailed me, Hal at cgob.com, and she says, Hal, you got to have my friend Dell on. I said, Well, what's he done? What's so impressive? She said, He has golfed every golf course in the province of Manitoba. Yes.
2: Have you
0: really? Yes, I have. I end, wow. up, I, I end up, I started out when I was in my early 20s. Some people invited me from our, our church and I had me out to the Crescent Golf Course, and yeah. so I played nine holes, and then a couple of weeks later, I played Windsor, played 18, and, and that sort of started me off. And, yeah. then, and then a few years later, I was listening to Red Alex.
1: There is a CJOB connection to this story. <laughs> I love this. So you're listening to Red Alex. He's getting ready re- to retire, right? and he goes, I'm going to get a motor home, and I'm going to golf every golf course in Manitoba. Right. And you said? I said, well... That's
0: good. I mean, I'd already golfed about 30, 40 golf courses at yeah. that time. I didn't really know how many golf courses there were in Manitoba. So I looked it up. Usually we had a free press, had a little yeah, guide. Sure. So I looked yeah. it up, found out there was 131 golf courses. So I thought, well, I needed a goal. So I decided <laughs> to uh, to come up with a goal of yeah. golfing 10 new ones every year. And I decided you know, that since we both like camping, my wife and I yeah. we would go to some place camp and then I golf these golf courses and then in the morning and my wife would come along with me and in the afternoon then we'd go to some place for her. Mm. So then the thing is it turned out then was getting close to the to the end and I had two golf courses left. And this is just last year, right? Yeah, it was just last year. And so the only two I had left were Thompson and Snow Lake. But I also had another thing in my bucket list to go to Churchill. But the tracks were down. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, I guess I'm going to have to wait till this year. So, the end of June, we drove up to Thompson. Uh, the next morning, that was on a Sunday, the next morning, July 1st, went out to the Thompson Golf Course and I golfed my 130th golf course. And then I we took the train to Churchill, came back on Friday, and then on a Saturday morning, we golfed, went to Snow Lake and I golfed 131st. And that was the That was all the golf courses in Manitoba, at least the public ones anyway.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to put the word out right now. So there are some private golf courses out there Mm -hmm. that – I'm thinking, Dell, you would be willing to golf if they wanted to give you a free round, right? Sure. Yeah. That'd be, be great, yeah. So you get a hold of me. If you're one of the private courses, you get a hold of me. Hal at CGOB.com or 204-780-6868. And if you want to hook Dell up with a free round of golf, we'll see if we can run the number up. But you have golfed 131 of the public courses in Manitoba.
0: Yeah, I didn't know whether it was possible, but I think that I needed a goal to do that and I decided like I say to do 10 new ones every year and so we not only did that we did the camping we saw different parts of Manitoba that I probably would never have seen I end up I met people that I probably would never have seen if I hadn't done this thing in terms of golfing so it was a, a win-win situation a lot of different ways of being able to do that and then the thing is that I say and get to to finish it up and I, I met some very interesting people uh, and I you were asking me whether I had yeah. some kind of a, a funny situation I ended up I remember when I was up in I was in London and I was at the I, uh, I went we went to this church on Sunday morning and there was um, <clears throat> a fellow came up and he introduced himself and he said what are you doing here I said well I said we're camping at the campground provincial campground and I said going golfing. I said, i golfed a Lunder a course the day before. And he said, oh, he said, I work there. He says, I, you know, and I said, oh, and he says, so, and I told him, I said, well, I have this goal, of 131 golf courses. And at that time I golfed 111. So he said, oh, is that right? He said, he said, so he said, uh, anyway, he got up. I didn't realize he was leading the service that morning. He gets up. And he says, you know, he he looks out at his wife in the congregation and he looks over at me and he said, you know, he said, dear, he said, you thought I was crazy when I said I golfed 70 golf courses. He said, I found out, found somebody was even crazier
1: than (laughs) (laughs) me, over a hundred golf courses. She she thought she had it bad with him, (laughs) but you're, you're on your way to 131. That's great. Uh, Any favorite courses?
0: Yeah, and I th- I was thinking about that. I don't know Killarney was a course; it had had water and uh, by the water, and then it was actually we golfed over the railroad tracks. I guess there had been railroad tracks there before, so we golfed there. I golfed at Heckle Island. I really liked that, and that was a beautiful course. And there was all island lakes, so at Oak Lake, and then uh, Granite Hills, no near Lackawanna. So those are things. And probably the similar thing was that they had water by it. Was a difficult course. I know the one at Granite Hills had some blind uh, holes where you didn't even know where you were hitting when you hit the ball. So that was kind of fun. But the thing is that they both all had sort of similar and difficult by the water, uh, you know, 18 holes. I mean, I did enjoy Pine Falls. That was a nine-hole course I really enjoyed too. But, yeah, there was some great courses in Manitoba.
1: What a great way to see the province, eh?
0: Oh, yes. I I know I would never have gotten to see all the province if it hadn't been for the fact that um, I decided to do this goal, and it happened to be Red Alex who inspired me to do that, so I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, is.
1: and Red is gone now, of course, and I was lucky enough when I took over mornings here at CGOB to have Red on, and I asked Red, Red, can I bring back beefs and bouquets? And he was happy to let me bring back beefs and bouquets. Okay, right. So you're talking about radio royalty when you talk about Red Alex, and that's so cool that I didn't know that till you walked in here today that he inspired you.
0: Yes, well, as I say, you know, but there are people over the years have inspired me to do different things. And I think the thing is that uh, when I look at people and I realize that there's there's different uh, things that inspire you to do what you need want to do in life, and I ran into a lady. I'm involved in Toastmasters, and she ended up. She told me she had a stroke five years ago, and and now she's able to speak clearly, wow. no problem. And I thought there was another lady that inspired me, you know, to, to realize that. Well, you could have just given up.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think the thing is that Red inspired me to do something that. I probably never would have done if he hadn't mentioned that that was what he was going to do. Apparently, I was told, this is a little bit of a funny story, I heard that somebody worked for the government and decided he wanted to go to do all the golf courses. So he purposely set it up so that he could actually go out all these places that he said he was going to work at and actually didn't work at, but he just wanted to go golfing. <laughs>
1: And of course, it's a government worker, oh, right? Yeah. It has to be well, a government and they, worker. Well, when they they found out about it,
0: they fired <laughs> him.
1: <laughs> Dell, it's really nice to meet you, and you've met some great people too around the provinces. You said, eh?
0: Yeah, I met some great people. I mean, I remember we had another. If you've got time, I got a, yeah. a little bit of story about Falcon Lake Golf Course. Sure. I, I ended up we were um, golfing with three other guys, and so we got to this one hole, and and I was about ready to hit hit the ball. And I saw this fox, gray fox, walking along the side of the, the fairway. And I thought, oh, well, no big deal. So, anyway, so I, I hit my ball. And darn it, this fox did run across the fairway, pick up my ball in his mouth, and walk, ran over to the, the side of the fairway and run into the trees. Come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, all three, all four of us stood there. We looking looking agape at each other. <laughs> did this really happen? And so anyway, then... Uh, I thought, okay, so then the other guy, he got to get up, and then the fox came out of the the trees and stood at the edge of the fairway, and we were thinking, well, I wonder if he's going to do the very same thing. Sure (laughs) enough, this guy hit his ball, this fox ran out, picked up the ball, went back over to the the side of the fairway, and stopped and dropped the ball, and then he turned and he looked at us. It's almost to say, well, oh, well, what are you going to do about that? (laughs) Oh. So and then we didn't know what to do do we didn't could we put that down as a lost ball
1: <laughs> Yeah what do <are laughs> you do with to... that I don't
0: know <laughs> So anyway but it was a, it was a funny thing I mean Gee. and that was some of the things that uh, I yeah. remembered over the years of being involved in different things and being involved with people that uh, like I say, I've met people in our church that never would have met that yeah. if it hadn't been for that. And but...
1: kept you in good shape, too. Eh? Oh, you yeah. got out and walked some rounds of golf. Well, that's right.
0: I mean, the thing is that I end up, I got towards, and I was starting to get maybe 12, 13th hole around my back, starting to bother me, so I no. started having to take a golf cart. But but no, I mean, I, I still enjoy it. Uh, I don't hit the ball as I used to, but I still, I'm now 70, and the thing is that, so it's been probably 45 to 50 years of golfing that to get the goal that I wanted to in terms of getting all the golf courses, yeah. so maybe people don't take that long, maybe they take an hour, maybe take a week, make a month or a year, whatever things. But for me, it took me almost forty five to fifty years in order to accomplish what I needed to do wow. and, and I saw so i I realized that what people tell me well that well, they can't get it done.
1: I said, yeah. well. I did.
0: Yeah. So why and, can't good you? You. and good for you, and good
1: for you. Congratulations! I'm, I'm really happy that Marilyn emailed me about you, and it's a pleasure to meet you. And and now to find out that it was, uh, you know, Radio Royalty CGOB's Red Alex years ago who inspired you to golf every golf course in the province of Manitoba. I
0: heard he was the number one DJ at that time, right?
1: Oh, Red was huge. I mean, odd, yes. So no doubt about that, and an incredible human being. Yeah, right. incredible yeah. guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was sorry that he, he up, he passed away yeah. before he finished his goal of doing mm-hmm. it. But yeah, as I say, but at least he inspired somebody else to do it. He did. And I, I've even had people tell me, "Did you really golf 131 <laughs> golf courses?" And I said, "Well, I could show you yeah. <laughs> the yeah. guide." Uh, so it was it was kind of it was fun. Yeah. I mean there were some courses that were really tough. Hmm. Uh, you know to to play on them, but at the same time, it? You, know, you just yeah. you played maybe you played. Maybe you had a few more yeah, extra strokes than you sure. should have. But the thing yeah. is, oh, I remember the one at Delray. I should tell you the Del story. Delray, okay. I golfed this course. It was a nine-hole golf course. Got to the on the first hole. And I saw this huge ramp right beside the first tee. I said to somebody, I said, what is that for? They said, well, that's for drainage. For So the thing is, when it gets too much water, then it goes down the ramp and down to the valley where the other holes are. And I remember seeing a picture in the clubhouse on the fifth hole where this, all this, uh, nineteen two thousand five 2005, where this had, had yeah. all been drowned out. So I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. And then further on, I went to this par 3, and it was a hole where you had to tee off. It was a par 3, and yeah. I went down to the bottom.
1: Right.
0: And I thought, okay, so I hit down there, and then I went to hit to the green. And I looked, and I couldn't believe it there was a wall of rocks right in front of the green. <laughs> and I thought, how am I supposed to hit that? <laughs> Natural took... hazard, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, eh? So I took three or four shots before yeah. I finally got it over the wall of rocks, wow. and onto the green. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was another yeah. funny story. That was, uh, uh, f- you know, so there was some fun times. Yeah. And the thing is, that, uh, and of course, you've... Sometimes you end up, you played for Mm -hmm. different fundraising, different things you've done. Different events and charities and stuff like that. You helped other people. But I think the thing is, the bottom line is is to be able to do something. Like you say, get out in the fresh air, do something that you're having a good time. Instead of sitting around on the couch and doing nothing, I think that's the important thing to realize that you can do those things.
1: Del, good for you. Great to meet you. Thank you very much for coming in.
0: Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Del
1: Duffield, he has golfed every golf course, 131 of them in the province of Manitoba. Our next guest is with the Immigrant and Refugee Organization of Manitoba. Dorota Blomchinska is uh, on the phone. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for doing this. Your reaction to what the inspector had to say and what you heard our reporter, Marnie Blunt, say there about the African organization and their reaction?
3: Uh, Well, I just want to begin by saying that it is not normal um, for anyone. It is not normal for any youth or any person, irregardless of what they may have experienced or witnessed, um, to take up arms and to take another life. Um, So I just... I don't appreciate equating um, the trauma that people have experienced in conflict zones with some sort of, um, you know, desensitization to violence. The reality is that our youth absolutely feel that violence. They are impacted by it. They are traumatized by it, and we have an obligation to help them work through. Um, those complex emotions and those realities but part of our obligation is also not to assume that they are prone to violence because they have experienced it
1: and that's what you got from inspector waddell the way he worded that eh?
3: i did yeah i I just didn't appreciate it
1: yeah and uh but he also said that uh you know these gangs are preying on newcomers to our city and our province are you seeing that dorota
3: I think what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of youth who desperately want to belong. And the reality is that our youth are living in households that live in tremendous poverty. And whether you're a newcomer or you're a mainstream Canadian youth or you're an Indigenous youth or or any other young person that lives in poverty where you have to think about and struggle for your day-to-day existence, gangs are going to have an opportunity to pull you into a life that you don't want because the reality is that your basic necessities are not being provided for.
1: And so we need to do something about the poverty. Uh, uh, is there anything else we can do? I mean, that's a big one, right? We, you know that as well as I
3: yeah. do. I mean, there's to be honest, there's a lot more that we need to do. And And I fundamentally don't believe that police enforcement and increased policing is going to help our communities. If we want to find a way to engage our youth. We need to have safe spaces. We need to have after-school programs. We need to have... Uh, inner-city schools from elementary to middle to high schools that are open from 4 till 10 p.m. daily so that young people can go into safe spaces where they're going to be provided with a meal, where they're going to play basketball or play soccer, where they're going to get support doing homework, where they'll be engaged in the arts or other passion projects or their talents. The reality is many of our young people in those critical hours have nowhere to go, and they have nowhere to go because within their own households, There's a great deal of trauma. There's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. And the gangs offer a peer network of people who have shared lived experience, who are willing to pull you in and not judge you for what you've gone through. We need to create those same conditions in healthy spaces.
1: Essentially create an alternative to the
3: gangs, right? Exactly. Absolutely. The reality is that a young person will either spend their evening with their soccer team, you know, on a soccer field, playing, practicing, competing, you know, eating pizza on the sideline. And if they're not doing that, they're going to spend the evening hanging out, playing, you know, chilling, eating whatever they can on the side, you know, of a back lane. The The act is the same. It's the location. Change the location, change the conditions. And all youth will be able to find success.
1: Obviously, your organization, Dorota, and other organizations like uh, yours are working at this, doing the best you can. Yes. Somebody listening to the radio right now, what can I do? What can we do?
3: Um, well, there's there's a lot of different things that we can do. So, for example, we offer nightly after-school programming. Many of the settlement organizations in the city and many inner-city uh, youth-serving organizations provide weekly, um, and nightly programming, and all of them rely on volunteers. So the reality is we need people coming in from different communities, from different social economic backgrounds, from different lived experiences, and having a vested interest in the well-being of our youth. Um, We need individuals to come in and to be able to offer their capacity when it comes to one-on-one support with homework, to offer their mentorship, to be able to help a young person imagine a different trajectory and a different future. Um, so we all need volunteers to help us with the work that we do. We also need more funding. That That is, you know, something that will be repeated by every single inner-city organization. If that we... Our capacity is always stretched and the need always exceeds what we're able to do um, and that we alone cannot do it, which is why I said, you know, the schools need to be open in the evenings. We need community centers that are controlled by the city to be open in the evenings. So this requires, you know, the province and the education system, the city and community services. This is a multi-level response that's going to create healthy, safe and vibrant communities.
1: Dorota, you might not have liked the way Inspector Waddell said that or what he said, but you know what? I'm glad he did because we had a great conversation. This is an important subject and I'm glad we were able to talk about it.
3: Thank you. I agree. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dorota. Dorota uh, Blomchinska is with the Immigrant and Refugee Organization of Manitoba. We're talking about newcomers and gangs today here on CJOB.